Chapter Six of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter Six. Drifting. A more obtuse man than Judge Burnham was could have easily seen that he had gone too far. He did plainly see it. He had no intention of hurting his wife's feelings, but his haughty pride had risen against the thought that Dr. and Mrs. Dennis had been discussing his family affairs, and had even drawn his wife into the discussion. This, coupled with his talk with Minta, had made him unreasonably angry. He chose, however, to pass it all off lightly. He came toward his wife, speaking as nearly as possible in his natural tone. My dear Ruth, don't go into heroics. Sit down and be comfortable. I beg your pardon if I hurt your feelings. I had no intention of doing so. It was your own remark which suggested my unfortunate illustration. Now let us understand each other. As to the share which your friend Mrs. Dennis had in this matter, I am grateful for her intentions, but not for the fact. She should not have burdened you with anything of the kind. If her husband, as a gentleman, has any information which he thinks I ought to receive, let him communicate with me, not send his wife to gossip with you. Pardon my word, my dear, I mean no offense. In point of fact, I attach exceedingly slight importance to the information. Young Hamlin is not absolutely perfect, I suppose. Few men are. But he belongs to an excellent family, and cannot have gotten very far astray without my knowing it. The truth is that clergymen live very secluded lives, up in the clouds most of the time. Or, if you like the idea better, above the clouds, in air so pure that they cannot understand matters which are of the earth, earthy, and are very poor judges of what is going on. They are continually given to making molehills into mountains. Their ideas of business are simply absurd, might do for the angels, but not for mortals. Now, I hope I have given your friend a sufficiently exalted character, and also shown you the folly of depending too much on his opinions." Ruth had suffered herself to be replaced in her chair, and had so far overcome her excitement that she could answer this half-bantering, half-serious statement with quiet voice and manner. I did not present opinions to you, Judge Burnham, but facts which can easily be proven, for I gave you names and dates. I was so far impressed with the importance of them that I did what I could to hold your daughter away from association with the villain, at least until you should know the facts, even to giving what was equivalent to a command, but it proved of no avail. I am sorry to hear that. Judge Burnham's manner was grave now. Minta should not have disregarded your expressed wishes. As to commands, we must both remember that the girls are too old to be treated as children. Being legally of age, they of course have a right to choose their society but I trust they are two entirely ladies to often disregard your courteously expressed wishes. Perhaps we must, in this case, make allowance for undue excitement under great provocation. If I am correctly impressed as to family affairs, you do not often notice what collars the young ladies have, and as, in my absence, they are shut up to the necessity of receiving their friends and paying their visits quite alone, Perhaps it is not strange that they should sometimes make unfortunate selections, nor, indeed, that they should wince under sudden commands. 
Judge Burnham, am I to understand that you disapprove of having your daughters receive calls and pay visits without me? Are you not aware that they decidedly prefer my absence, that, indeed, they would resent any attempts of this kind as an infringement on their liberties? Judge Burnham changed the graceful position which he had assumed before her, with one arm resting on the mantel, and his handsome eyes fixed on her. He ran his fingers through his hair in a weary way, walked to the window and looked out a moment, then turned back and spoke as one bored to death. My dear wife, it is worse than useless for you and me to talk all these things over. I have no disposition to be a household tyrant toward either my wife or my daughters. I would have them all enjoy themselves in their own way if they can. That you have chosen a peculiar way in holding yourself almost entirely aloof from the society which naturally seeks us is, of course, far from agreeable to me, nor can I fail to see that it does not contribute materially to your happiness. That the girls have become accustomed to receiving their friends and visiting them without you is certainly not strange. What else would you have them do? Having perforce educated them to this course, it would be unreasonable to expect them to look for or desire any other way. You surely know that you have sought your own interests and left them to seek theirs until naturally enough they have done so. And, after all, Ruth, it is just as well that we should remember it. You really are not their mother, you know. However, as to society, there is no occasion for grievance on that score. I am still in a condition to be glad of having your company whenever you shall choose to come out of your reclusive state. I promise you society enough, and of a perfectly unobjectionable stamp. And now, cannot we dismiss all disagreeable subjects and go down to dinner? I think it must be at least ten minutes since the bell rang. So this was the end of her honest and painful effort to serve her husband's daughter. After all, you are not their mother, you know. Yes, she knew it only too well. Did she not know by the loving, clinging kisses of her own boy what it was to be really a mother? Yet what had she not done for those girls? Had they known any other mother than herself? There was certainly in their hearts no idol enthroned into whose place she had rudely come. Minta, at least, did not remember her mother at all, and Seraph but as a dim and flitting shadow. Why could not these girls have given to her the loyalty and attention which a mother has a right to expect at the hands of grown-up daughters? Alas for Ruth, that she did not realize even yet how surely some of the fault was her own. She had taken hold of duty, it is true, with stern hands, and ordered their outward lives in a fashion that she had supposed would mean fairyland to them. But she had been content with this. Into their hearts as a central force, moved under the impulse of love, she had never tried to come. She had not planned to have the sweets of fairyland intoxicate them, until their brains were too dizzy to look beyond the new, dazzling outward life. But, left amid its glories to revel for themselves, what wonder that just this thing happened? I want to emphasize the thought just here, that the grave mistake in this stepmother's life, even now, was in not recognizing and accepting the fact that part of the fault for this condition of things was her own. She did not recognize it. It seemed to her that she had done her duty, full measure, pressed down, and indeed sometimes running over, by these girls. 
had she not given up the joy of that first year of married life alone with one's husband for their sakes had she not pressed their claims firmly and triumphantly even against his will and how had they rewarded her for it she could have wept bitter tears but she did not instead she went down with her husband to the waiting dinner and took her place at the head of the table and listened as usual to the chatter of a hundred gay nothings apparently minta had recovered her spirits she said not a word to her stepmother unless her flashing eyes spoke for her their language was you and i have measured weapons and if i mistake not mine are the keenest there is no use for you to try to poison my father against me i secured the first hearing to her father she was all smiles and winning ways with a pretty little undertone air of gratitude which sat most gracefully upon her however to do judge burnham's good sense strict justice he was by no means so much at ease about this young man who had created this breeze as he chose to have his wife think not that he credited a third of the story that had come to him he had much faith in the statements which he had made that clergymen knew little or nothing about the doings of the world and he should quite expect that what was considered fair enough in the business world might look black to dr dennis knowing nothing practically of the lives of ministers of the gospel being unaware to what extent they are entrusted by all sorts of people with inner histories how indeed the faithful pastor becomes in time almost a receptacle for all that is sorrowful or terrible in the circle of his influence and by this very process grows keen-sighted he actually believed that of all persons a clergyman was the one most likely to be imposed upon still this young man must be looked after he admitted to himself that it was true enough that he knew a great deal about his grandfather and very little about him he must make some inquiries speedily pending these he detained minta in the library as the others were passing out see here daughter about this young hamlin there is nothing of any importance between you and him i hope why papa how should there be i have only known him a little over two months true and that is not time enough in which to develop a special interest eh and he smiled on her pleasantly i think you cannot be very seriously inclined and i should not want you to be you know with a stranger of course not papa nor without telling you about it either the girls in our set are very fond of riding with him because he drives such magnificent horses and he seems to be fond of inviting me and of course i like it ever so much because it is such fun to have all the girls envy me that is the whole story is it very well i do not find it alarming but see here daughter you must make all due allowance for your mamma it is genuine regard for your interests that actuates her nothing else she was brought up by a father who had exceedingly strict not to say narrow views about some things and of course his opinions color all her feelings as a true lady you must respect her views and even her prejudices as much as you can the beautiful lips pouted a little a very little not unbecomingly and made answer very well papa i'll try but i should think she might trust me to you the last pronoun pronounced very lovingly the father fed by pride which was the chief source of his inner strength smiled on her again 
and dismissed the subject with the mental determination to look carefully, nevertheless, into this young man's history without further delay. But he did not. The next was an unusually busy day with him in his office, and at the home dinner table Seraph announced in the course of conversation that the Hamlins were to leave that evening for a six weeks' trip to California. The girls had coaxed their cousin into taking them, and beside, his uncle wanted him to go on some business, they believed. But he did not like the idea. He said the whole thing was a bore. And I agree with him, Minta said, with a merry little laugh. I'm ever so sorry to have him go. He is the only real good company there is among the gentlemen. He is so witty, and beside, he is going to send his horses into the country while he is gone. Her father laughed, asked her if she was certain which she was the more sorry about, the absence of the gentleman or of his horses, and then he told himself that for his part he was glad young Hamlin was going. It would give him time to look up that story more quietly and see if it had any foundation. It was just as well to be careful about these things, though in six weeks, probably, his pretty daughter would have transferred her interest, which was evidently slight, to some other young gentleman who drove fast horses. As for Mrs. Burnham, she felt indignant that the name which had come to be associated in her mind with disgrace should be so freely on the lips of father and daughter. And to show you how little progress she was really making in her Christian life during these days, I shall have to confess to you that she said, as she went up the stairs that night, that she at least had done her duty and should not interfere again. No, not if she saw his daughter on the very verge of ruin. She had made an earnest effort and failed. No one certainly could blame her now for holding utterly aloof from it all. I do not think she meant all this. I think she would have put out her hand promptly enough to interfere if she had seen danger and known which way to move the hand. But that she could harbor these thoughts, even when action was not required, will show you, if you are one of those who desire to be conformed to his image, how feeble the flame was which burned in this poor heart. It was Sunday afternoon again, nearly two weeks after the domestic ruffle which Mrs. Dennis's visit had occasioned. Mrs. Burnham was in her own room with Erskine, a thing which was becoming habitual with her on Sunday afternoons. Indeed, the Sabbath had become a day of special trial to this much-tried woman. Very gradually, so that she had not realized it at first, a state of things had crept into her own house, which she utterly disapproved, yet found herself powerless to control. Attendance at church had not been a very regular thing of late years, even on her own part. Much of the time either the weather or Erskine's state of health made it necessary, in his mother's estimation, for him to remain at home and she had made it a matter of principle to remain with him, both in order that his childhood memories of the Sabbath might be sweetly associated with her, and because she had no one in her employ with whom she was willing to leave a child. The young ladies were often so weary of a Sabbath, by reason of the late hours of the night before, as to unfit them for church, even had there been any desire on their part to attend. When they had new suits, or when they could arrange for a trip to the city, or when a stranger was to preach in their church, they could be depended upon for morning service. But circumstances with them were as likely to prove unfavorable as otherwise. And as the days passed, 
their rule might almost be said to be to lounge through the morning in wrappers and slippers and go to the city for a sacred concert at night if that could be satisfactorily managed gradually a new program crept into the afternoon at first it was a messenger from the choir leader petitioning for special assistance from seraph whose voice was worthy of her name when she chose to use it but who by no means chose to sing often in church as for being trammelled by a regular engagement there her father agreed with her that such positions would better be left for those who had to earn their own living yet when emergencies arose she would graciously lend her aid and the choir leader a very aristocratic young man was if the truth be told quite fond of creating emergencies and of being his own messenger to petition the leading tenor was also very willing to join in the plea and when they were successful and there was a specially difficult number to render what more natural than that they should drop in during the afternoon and try their voices together this being found necessary several times it was thereby discovered that it would be agreeable to practice occasionally of a sunday afternoon in order to be ready for future contingencies and from singing to chatting the transition was easy enough one afternoon the choir leader brought young sherman with him to hear miss burnham render a solo and prove what the leader had said that her voice ran clearer on the high notes than did the celebrated miss hamlin's though she was a professional singer and young sherman enjoyed the afternoon and came again at first with a flimsy excuse of some sort and then boldly with no excuse at all and he brought mr snowdon with him on occasion who if not musically inclined was away from all his friends and dreadfully bored with sundays and it was only a charity to help him get through with the hours oh i cannot explain how it all was mrs burnham understood only this if the ladies had said we are going to have a social gathering on sunday afternoons in our parlors judge burnham would have opened his eyes wide and reminded them that the customs of the locality in which they lived were not in accordance with such gatherings and on the whole it would not be wise and it could have been controlled but no such thing had been said or even hinted it had all come about by the most natural processes and yet the fact was apparent at least to the eyes of the lady of the house that their parlors on sunday afternoons had become lounging places not only for young but middle-aged gentlemen and occasionally ladies this much by way of explanation it is of one particular sunday afternoon that i wish to tell you End of chapter 6. Recording by Tricia G.